So November 2016, you know, this was another um, lead up um, moment, rock bottom moment. Um, I was fucking tweaked, like, and my door knocked at about nine o'clock in the morning, 8 a.m., nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, I was here getting in another fucking um, codependent relationship with a much, much younger gentleman. And we're just here and I'm fucked. You know, my daughter's at school and my door is knocking and um, it's a bailiff. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. Oh, no, my pleasure. Because, like, you found me through Courtney, right? Through Courtney, who you, what a great, um, great episode, you know. And I think, too, that you had uh, recently um, kicked it with uh, Jeff Vickers, who I'm good friends with. Um, so I've been seeing you around, but I don't know much <laughs> of your story, and I don't think you know any of mine. We just started I don't know. I don't know any of yours. We just yeah, started I... following each other. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, Jeff and I, I had him on back in September for recovery month, because back in September, I did 30 episodes in a row for recovery month, and he was one of them. And then um, to raise awareness around overdose and relapse for the holidays, I did 37 in a row from Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve. And I know your Thanksgiving's different. We'll get to that. Um, But America's Thanksgiving, um, he was in part of that 37 in a row, too. And then I just did his show last Saturday night. So I yeah, his, um, in November, it's an amazing, oh. amazing card in my reach. Oh, is that the one that you did the long one? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So in, in November, no, no, that was a different. That was a different one. one. Okay. Different one. He, he let me have free reign on my on my colorful uh, language on that on his episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, Jeff's like that. Jeff's a fun fun time to talk to. Um, so what is your sober date then, Alex? Okay, so I actually don't call it my sober date, my clean okay. date, or my dry date. It's absolutely my rebirth date. Um, a lot of my story, you'll hear, right? Real transformation requires real honesty. So on April 22nd, 2017, um, is my rebirth date. Uh, from that moment forward, when I made admonition to self, and I was finally brutally and fucking honest with myself and told myself, you're nothing but a junkie and an alcoholic, and you need fucking help, and you need it now. From that moment forward, that brutal honesty with myself um and switching it into blind faith right for me most revolutionary change that day was um you know i i stepped i I, i'm in a pro i'm in a 12-step program i stepped one two and three myself unconsciously to me because don't fucking think i even knew what the steps were before walking into the rooms of recovery that day yeah i walked into the rooms of recovery that day and there was no turning back since and I went downtown to, downtown on myself. Like, I don't even look the same that I used to, you know? So the physical transformation, the mental transformation, and the spiritual transformation, you know? Yeah, so, and what part of Canada are you in? I'm in um, the nation's capital, so I'm in Ottawa. Ottawa. I live, I live on the Quebec side. I work on the Ontario side. So uh, I'm in an interprovincial, uh, interprovincial town, but, um, you know, born uh, in Montreal, raised in Toronto. So the big city, the big city life, um, and then came here um, for, for university. That's a big part of my story, too. You know, I was always academically successful, then professionally successful. And all this fucking success went to my head, you know, that, that when we say we have an ego problem, and especially in alcoholism, right, that isn't that I self and me part of it. And how I was so self-absorbed and so self-centered, you know. And it was just about moving up rank, being the youngest, the best at this, like a fucking whiz kid, you know. And um, my career was everything. 
until it wasn't anymore and living that dual life, you know, because I started using boozing at the age of 10, but I was able to maintain a separate, you know, by, by night, I was a completely different Alex than by day, the studious, fucking academically successful, professionally successful uh, public service employee, you know, until yeah. those worlds completely collided because I was fucking out to lunch, you know, I was one sandwich short of a picnic by the end. And, um, you know, like those, those, you know, when I, when I go into step one today, it's not just about the, um, you know, the uh, powerlessness, like the loss of control of self and, and the unmanageability of my life. I completely lost power over my mind. You know, uh, cocaine and alcohol consumed my every thought by the end, so I consumed them. And that was my number one priority. So, you know, not even thinking things through anymore, couldn't even make a logical or um, wise or rational um, decision for myself, all judgment out the window. So those poor decisions, you know, my poor decisions in life completely came into the workplace, you know, and, um, and yeah, yeah I mean, there was yeah, a point I mean, in time where talk, yeah. I, you know, not even thinking things through it. And when the constant, you know, when we say that, that creating your own insanity, yeah, like it's pretty fucking crazy to be creating your own insanity, demise, misery, and ruin. Right. And yeah. And, you, exactly and you're talking about having, thinking. yeah, you had cocaine and alcohol. That's, that's like the 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 best marriage since like you know Al Bundy and Peggy. You know what I mean? Like, it it's like so dysfunctional. They have to work together. They're the they work together every single time. They do because I'll tell you what that like you know if it wasn't and I always identify myself as an addict before I do as an alcoholic. Like I Alex, yeah, so do I. Alcoholic, triple yeah. A threat. Um, because if I didn't have the coke, which I always had, I wouldn't have had the booze. Because trust me, I think there was like one time that I would that I only fucking drank, and, and I was a fucking mess of a fucking drunk when I when I didn't have that. That cocaine kept me on fucking point, or I thought yeah. it was keeping me on point. Well, that you were medicating yourself because you were, you know, you were too smart for your own good. So you thought you knew how to do that yourself. You thought you knew how to medicate I yourself. I thought I was the shit. I was yeah. knees, knees, man. Like, and everything, everything was below me, and everyone was beneath me. And you've you know, been doing this since you were ten. So now, because I started drinking at eleven, you know. So, and I started drinking, like looking back in retrospect, drinking alcoholically at twelve. That's the first time I started drinking alcoholically, like for a reason to to numb, to take away the pain. So, you know, if you had your first drink at ten. How long did it take for you to like realize this could be a medicine that I could use to get through shit? Because I realized it by 12. So we I seem pretty think, similar. I don't think I realized what I was using it for. You know, that came in my recovery as I started, you know, recovering. There was never a conscious like discovering myself. I, I always knew I had a problem. But you know that that deep introspection and and reflection and and realizing that drugs and alcohol were never the fucking problem. Oh, only, you were a narcissist. Only yes, I was I was very nar and I will say it, and it's funny because if you look at the character <laughs> it's sorry, it's so weird to say it to somebody of an addict yeah. and that of a narcissist, they're basically one and the same, and then put that together. You have fucking full blown. Like I wasn't. I don't say I was an ego. Um, I was egotistical. I was a fucking egomaniac. I was a raging lunatic. Yeah, you I were like thought, a villain. I truly thought I was the best. 
Like I can out snort, like, and this is what I pride myself on, you know, and that's what I say, you know, start having started so young and, you know, in our recovery circles, we say that we find ourselves in recovery. How the fuck can you find something you never lost? Drugging and drinking was my very identity at, in the end. Like I yeah. prided myself on that shit. I could out fuck you. I could out snort you. I can out drink you. I can out party you. I can out fucking do you. But those were the things that I wanted to outdo you in. You know, so for nope. me, and it's not when I go back to to like the drugging and drinking wasn't the problem. You know, the amount of guys I slept with wasn't the problem. You know, I, I do definitely have love, sex, emotional addiction as well, um, codependency issues. But so now coming back to, you know, recognizing that those were never the problem. As I started doing introspection on myself, you know. Um, I have well, I congratulations. Have. I can tell you this for your ego is um I've done over a hundred episodes now, and you're the first person that I've straight up like just said, Oh, you were a narcissist because it was never as clear as they <laughs> like and I've never actually said it to somebody and I'm going like, Yeah, I was because most narcissists would never be as accepting. <laughs> you know, that's I, how you know I you're actually, working a program. I actually say it a lot in, in a lot of my shares, you know, and I share quite well, often. Well, that's that how I know you're working a program. Are- you know, a lot of people, I, I've talked to people, you know, I run NA meetings, right? I run okay. AA meetings. So I mm-hmm. talk to a lot of people where they're telling, they're, they're telling me about their character defects, but also telling me they're working the steps. You know what I mean? They're they're talking about character defects, but talking about, oh, yeah, I worked the steps, but, oh, no, I don't have a problem with that. But you know what I mean? So, like, well, if you were honestly working the steps, you would be working through that and honestly talking about that. And you responding the way you did tells me everything I need to know about how you work your recovery. You know, <laughs> you know is you're like, oh, yeah, I totally, you know. So it, it was hard for you because, like, for me, I saw it right away. And, you know, what I, mean? I knew what I was getting myself into. So I do, I do, I'm known to be intense. Um, I definitely work, work my program um, through and through. Again, right, that, that honesty piece. For me, honesty is the motherfucking tenant of all tenants. Of the 12 spiritual principles, like honesty to me today and my integrity. Integrity is everything to me, my character, everything that I've gained in recovery, right? So I'm, I, I'm able to call myself out on my shit and I'm able to call myself out on my shit like from my previous life, you know? So when I say that rebirth date too, because that life that I previously lived over the span of 28 years and that woman that I had become completely, completely ceased to exist from that moment forward. I wasn't shit for shit anymore. I was a junkie and an alcoholic like the rest of them. I was released and I don't say from the bondages of self. I was released from the bondages of my own uniqueness. I was no fucking better or no fucking different than anybody else. And if I didn't get to that point in my own head, I would have never walked into the rooms because I wasn't like those fucking people. For but, so and, long, I thought I wasn't yeah. like those fucking people. <laughs> oh, I've sat in those meetings and, could, you know, and I've talked about this. It's so it's so easy to relate in, but it's so easy to relate out. You know what I mean? Like, and just finding out if somebody is like the oldest of three, you know what I mean? I'm already relating in, but you know, if they're not even that, I can say, well, our names are different. So we're not the same. not going to listen to a word you say, you know, it's so easy to relate out when you want to relate out, but when you want to relate in and you want to be there, like, I'm not even surprised about how you live your recovery because of how you told me you lived your addiction. A lot of people, it mirrors it, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we stay so sober 
is by doing it so out loud. Well, exactly. You know? and, and chasing them. That's what I always say, too. Right. I, I am intense and I'm known to be intense, but I'm just chasing my recovery the exact same way I was chasing mm-hmm. that next fucking fix high and drunk. And that was by any means and any lengths necessary. So, yeah, I'm going to fucking be full throttle into my fucking recovery because what I've come that freedom. And now it's not even about rocking my fucking sobriety or my clean time or what have you like that. That's not even what I think about. It's about compromising my integrity, compromising my truth, but compromising what I've worked so hard in the last four and a half years and some um, the point that I'm at today, the life that I've worked so hard, the quality of life that I've worked so hard to have from both myself and my daughter. I'm a single mother but also for, um, you know, the peace of mind, freedom, and serenity that I've come so fucking hard to work for. And that's now, what I don't Did you have your daughter in sobriety or in addiction? In addiction. So she's 14. So she's, you know, and that's, that's um, something that definitely, you know, in, in retrospect. Um, so again, you know, all my relationships um, were either codependent or absolute debaucherous we've all facilitated and enabled each other I never met any guy outside of the bar um so the only thing that I ever had in common um with any man that I've been in a relationship with and I do that in quotation marks because clearly they weren't fucking relationships at all um were the fact that we drug and drank together um had my daughter except that was my first foray into sobriety it was forced sobriety Um, But for those nine months, you know, and a lot of people, including her very father, didn't think um, that I would be able to do it. I didn't even have a drag of a fucking cigarette or a sip of wine in that nine months, you know. Because you're an intense person. I'm not surprised at all. Anything you're going to do, you're going to do it. (laughs) And um, once you set your mind to it, I feel like you're full throttle. You're doing it. So unfortunately, you know, she had to live... um, witnessed things that she probably shouldn't have. And, um, you know, I exposed her. I exposed her to that lifestyle um, completely. As much as I thought I was hiding it well from her, you know, I I fucking wasn't. She's not stupid. Um, She had to grow up very quickly. But I was, uh, her first 10 years of life, I was in the throes of active addiction. And that was um, when I had my spiritual awakening on April 22nd, 2017. Like, I was literally... Um, in my bed, rushing like a banshee, like trying to fall asleep. And I got fucking woke and I got woke real fast. Um, I couldn't live that life anymore. Um, I was done. I was done. You know, that that gift of fucking desperation, done. Um, I was defeated. I was over. I was so, um, you know, I was 38 years old. I was felt like I was fucking 100. Like, I I was just so haggard and tired and exhausted and exhausted of my own bullshit, really. Um, But it wasn't fair to me, but it definitely wasn't fair to her. And she was going to be 10 years old in two months' time. And I was like, what kind of a fucking parent am I? My daughter's about to be 10 in two months. I started living this fucking way and living this life at the age of 10. Who the fuck am I? Like, Alex, you need to start walking the walk and talking the talk. And step up to the plate and be a fucking parent. What the fuck are you doing with yourself? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge, that was a huge wake-up call for me, you know. But in lead up to that day, like I had quite a few, um, quite a few rock bottoms or wake-up calls, you know, they were never enough to 
but that that day like it was it you know and I always say to myself like had I known my life was going to be this great today I would have fucking done this years ago but it just wasn't my time you know I probably wouldn't have been as serious or as intense as I am now um, yeah, I think we've thought about it, but the other thing is like it's a fleeting thought until we get high again. That's the problem. Is like, by, you know, by I the did, end of it, that yeah. every five five minute interval between every next line and every next swig of whiskey, I'm like, this is fucking it. I'm yeah. done. This I can tell you what one. I, I oh, was never quitting if it's only quitting if you actually stop. Yeah. I never I never was withdrawing and looking for content like ours. You know what I mean? Like I was never looking to find, you know, positivity when I was going through it. You know, and I, I hope that people are. I and maybe it's just because it wasn't around in 2018 as much as it is today. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? But I just know when I was in the like throes of addiction in 2018. I don't remember seeing this kind of content. And like I said, I don't know if I was because the algorithms and I wasn't looking for it, but, or I don't know if people are just doing it more now because of COVID and there was, because anonymity was such a big deal when I first got in recovery. They're like, you can't talk about shit. You can't say shit. And I'm like, really? But if people don't, we only know what we know, right? And experience is our teacher. You know what? I'm all down with anonymity, like the traditions, like I'm down yeah. with it, but my anonymity is for me to do what I deem fit, and that's yep. recovering out loud. It fucking saves lives. Period. Um, couldn't agree you know, more. Yeah, because I I, I kept my I mouth shut for a while and I, I couldn't on, do it anymore. You know, I was on Facebook, but I wasn't on Instagram until I fucking got into recovery. Um, thirty days. You know, I was very very um early into my recovery, and then I just found this whole other fucking community. You know, and it's cool because some people today are like people that have been with me since the jump. My A1s from day one, you know, like it's it's pretty fucking crazy like that. We can harness that. And, and my background's actually in, in um, mass communications, so media and stuff, not traditional media systems, however, like journalism and, you know, yep. radio, television, broadcasting, not not this social media, this is a whole new game, right? Um, yeah, I'm, it really I, I'm is. I'm really dating myself here. I'll no, but I'm 35. I'm 35. You know what I mean? I, I was on opiates, so opiates kept me young. So yeah, I'm only th I'm 35. So I I get like right now, my wife and I are watching that like, and the Dark Age of the 90s special that's on Hulu, and you know, so I remember you know the different kinds of errors of broadcasting, and what journalism used to be, and how it was how we received information differently. <laughs> in the nineties, you know, via whether it was radio or TV, but we weren't getting it, you know, at our thumbs, Yeah. you know, shit, that wasn't even a decade ago. Like I was just rewatching entourage recently and they weren't being able to get information right away, you no. know? Yeah. So, you know, my wife made fun of me for being a bro and liking entourage. So I, out of spite, I rewatched it on my own at the, in the office when she wasn't with me watching TV. And, and you know, <laughs> we say, we say we, we attract what we emit, right? Like, I don't think I was fucking actively looking for fucking, oh, I'm going to go on fucking Facebook and see if somebody's in recovery. That that's not the way my fucking seed got planted whatsoever. So um, tell me about that thing. Cause I'm curious about that too. Okay, so I guess, um, so just to go back to it, because we kind of hit on it before, and I know you're going to chop this up a little bit, but um, 
you know, we were talking about it before. Drugs and alcohol were never the problem. I was an addict and an alcoholic long before I was an addict and an alcoholic. Long, long before I was admittedly an addict and an alcoholic. Um, you know, my father, it's in my DNA. My father was an addict and an alcoholic. God, God bless his soul. He never found this way of life for himself or his family. Um, unfortunately, even though it was well within reach, uh, I recognize that today, you know, but I understand his, his plights, his trials and his tribulations all too well. Cause I was that kind of parent as well. For some time I was present. I have exclusive custody of her. That's another thing, right? My fucking success. God, I won that shit in court and that fucking went to my head too, man. Cause like, yeah, I cause you're manipulating. Now was, you're manipulating the courts. To be an addict and an alcoholic, but I still fucking won. So haha, motherfucker. That shit's on you, you know? Like, yeah. I, that, that's how my brain worked, right? And, and um, so, yeah, so, you know, and going back to her again, because um, she heard me in a podcast interview um, a couple of years ago, and it was the first time that she heard that, you know, that, that she wasn't planned or whatever. And she said, oh, so I was a mistake. I said, you were definitely not a mistake. You just weren't planned, but you weren't a mistake. You are the greatest greatest achievement and gift of my life it just took me 10 years to start fucking showing you and i will be forever living in amends whereby my daughter is concerned um you know i gotta show her i gotta show her that shit and and um, yeah the closest ones to us we can't we've already told them enough you know we yeah. can't tell them enough anything you know yeah. so all we can do is show yeah, you know, by, you and... know by, the, by finally being the woman I'm raising today, um, you know, walking the walk, talking the talk, going back again to that being a fucking parent, being a mother. Um, but, you know, being able to provide for both her and me that quality of life that we're both so deserving of and um, and that we could both grow, thrive and prosper in together today, you know. And um, but it took me it took me 10 years to, to finally show her that that she was everything to me you know um and it takes what it takes i started because i started prioritizing myself and my recovery is my top priority first and foremost for me but ultimately she's gonna reap she's gonna reap the um the benefits in the end right yeah so again making sure that my recovery uh, stays my top priority so that everything and everyone i love including my very self never fucking comes last again in my life um, now, can we backtrack to 10? Backtrack to 10. So yeah, 10, so I guess, I guess what, you what is so. your introduction or why is your like, like for me, my introduction was curiosity, just straight up curiosity. Okay. So like, what was your introduction? So, so for me now today, like in retrospect, so again, my dad being an alcoholic and an addict, I was, I was, you know, I have severe daddy abandonment issues. Um, I also have an identity crisis from a very young age that I've identified, so that's going to get into it in a second. Um, you know, I'm uh, a woman of mixed origin. Um, my dad was black, my mom's white, um, so never being white enough for the white and black enough for the black and not fucking fitting in. But addiction doesn't discriminate, nor do the people that you're drugging and drinking drugging and drinking with they don't fucking care what fucking color shape form size you are what fucking part of the world you're in like we only have one thing in common so i found that entourage very young so at the age of 10 you know i had an older sister um my mom's french canadian so i'm i'm i am french like that's my maternal long uh tongue and um you know a first language i live in quebec it's inherent in our culture like let's get real alcohol wine especially you know it's you know it's 
every dinner. Um, it's in all our food. It, it's fucking, it's inherent in our culture. It's a French thing, right? Um, so I was, you know, I was introduced to it very young. My parents are both very, very liberal. They were, they were both artists uh, in their own right. My mother was a professional ballerina and model, and my dad was a trained Shakespearean actor. And, um, and they both, uh, so very liberal upbringing, you know, discipline. I didn't really have any. My mother being a single mother, um, you know, angel in my life today, I completely took advantage of her. So when I go in now into being an addict and an alcoholic long before being an addict and an alcoholic, like I think back to it today, those character defects, the cheating, the stealing, the manipulation, I, I would fucking do that to my mother, like at a very young age. Like I needed those fucking Patrick Ewings and I needed them fucking today because in two weeks time, they're going to be totally fucking out of style. And, and I you have them. to be the first and you I have to be the cool right one. Now, and I don't care if you're telling me and that <clears> you work, you work three jobs, seven days a week to provide for me. And I don't fucking care if you're telling me straight in my face, Alexandra, we got to wait till my next pay. I really don't have, I'll fucking sit there and cry for two hours until you take me to the goddamn store and fucking buy me those shoes now. Instant gratification, right? Like I needed them now. I needed everything now. You know, yeah. I go back to these things today and I'm like, holy shit. So I was so unappreciative of my poor mother, you know, um, who did everything, everything she could to provide for us, um, basically killing herself. Like she, you know, at the age of 12, my mother had um, had breast cancer. And let's get real, like back in the day, uh, you know, science, modern medicine, it wasn't what it is, what it is today. Like we almost lost her. Yeah, and you're still, talking what, like I the still, mid 90s, right? Yeah, I still treated her like as though nothing was wrong and she was healthy and could, and like a real fucking, it's funny because she says I'm the only white, white mother with, you know, I'm the only white mother who's a slave to two black children. <laughs> that, that was her joke at the time because that's exactly the way I treated her. I was so ungrateful, unappreciative, a spoiled fucking brat. I would never let her say no to me. There was just no way you were saying no. And to I'm me. sure she had to deal with shit too because she is the mother of because she's a stigma too. Yeah. Like she's yeah. there's you know in the mid 90s you know especially in French Canada I can't imagine there's a huge population of mixed well, race I was, kids. I was in Toronto at the time, so she okay. was raising us in Toronto, so the big city. One of her jobs was a was a flight attendant, right? So she was rarely home. Me and my sister, and my sister's older, so of course I was the cute 10-year-old. Let's see you smoke. Let's see you do this. Let's see you do that. Oh, my gosh, she just took a toke off of the joint. Like, I fucking thought I was cool as shit from a very young age, right? And yeah. popular. I always had so many fucking people with me. Like, I was Because you had friends over because your mom was always... Having on, the on parties, a... letting my friends steal shit from her, holes punched in her wall when she's coming back. Like, my poor mother, the shit we put her through. Like, it's just absolutely nuts, you know? And no matter how many times I failed her, or that unconditional love piece, like, I'm lucky. I'm so blessed. And today, like, you know, she comes to my Zoom celebrate. A lot of people, like, on Instagram, actually, because, like, for my Zoom celebrations and stuff, the last couple of years, obviously, we've been having them on Zoom. But a lot of people have like met her and her, heard her side of the story, right? And um, and uh, she's absolutely my fucking angel today. And I realize, I realize how much I took for granted. I took, I was taking fucking life for granted, you know. So how fast did you move me. out? Everything did you go? Away? You said you went away to college, right? 
Yeah, so I, um, so very young on, it's funny because my mother being a professional ballerina, so at the age of 13, I actually came to Ottawa where I am now um, on a full on, there was the only, it was the only French arts high school in my province at the time. I came on a scholarship to go into um, contemporary dance at this high school in Ontario. And luckily enough, my mother didn't, wasn't going to let me get her 13 year old daughter who's already fucking out of control of her own apartment. Um, so I found a uh, boarding house with, um, with nuns. And, you know, up until that point, my mother's very practicing Catholic. I was raised Catholic up until that point, you know, it was, I, I still like I, I complete. I still believed in my in my religion. I believed in God. I, you know, that that faith was there, um, and religious belief. But you know, that year living with the nuns, like first of all, coming from you know, being twelve years old and being told that I had to be at home by eight p.m. after <laughs> what I'm living in Toronto, anyways. You know, my mother, like I had no discipline, so coming into that discipline and structure and them trying to fucking control me, right? I think my inner rebellion, like that's when I started really getting rebellious. And then going to an arts high school, fuck, I was the best dancer on acid. So, you know, the, the, the weed smoking turned into fucking dropping, at L, you know, LSD every fucking day at school because I'd have like four hours of dance class and I was the best fucking dancer high ever. And, um, you know, and uh, let's just... I can't, I can't imagine peeking on acid while, like, doing, like, fucking twirls and shit like that and being a fucking ballerina, like, and twirling around. But, like, is, like, are well, you, were you ever... it was contemporary. It was contemporary dance. I don't know the difference. It really allowed modern dance. So okay. So not, not ballet. I did have ballet class, but, you know, modern dance. So it was more contemporary. But still, and, you, know, you are, like, spinning the room. We had a, we had a live bongo drum player fucking right there with us. I was fucking grooving. It was dope. Yeah. I'm talking about but, the streaks. Like, it's almost like you're going to a club every day. And you're, like, a fucking teenager. Like, and you're living the life of basically. And at this time, the movie 13 is coming out. Did that have any influence on you? That, like, that came out late. I, I think okay, I was you were like 16 you were, when that came out. So. I think it came out in like 99. So you would have been like 16 ish. Like you would have been 99. Little... I was already in university. Were you? So that I'll get into in a second. My Again, my academic success, right? So, anyways, the nuns sent me home the next year. My dance career was short lived. They wanted nothing to do with me anymore. I'm surprised. Um, yeah. And, with that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Did they know you were getting high? No, they didn't know. Um, you know, you were just a basket case of a person because you were getting high. My mother, my mother allowed me. Um, she wrote them a note to allow me to go sleep over at a friend's house every weekend um, without like, you know, just a blanket blanket approval to leave the the, the nun, the, the nunnery. The nunnery. Yeah, nunnery. I was going to that's what I was going to say, too. The nun house on the weekends, um, but you know that's when Coven? I started getting into the bush parties again with the high school I was at. You know I was going to high school with musicians and um, musicians and uh, uh, you know theater people and you know like it's it's also in the art scene, right? Um, How, was heroin was heroin big point. around then too? Um, Heroin you know, started becoming bigger on the mid nineties around here. It. I dabbled in it. So it's funny because when I went back to Toronto, it was the early infancy of the rave scene in Toronto. Um, I was a raver, you know, I always say I life I, I danced myself to a life of addiction. I really did. 
uh, got into the rave scene and um, that was it. You know, I've tried everything and everything and anything under the sun, um, you know, meth, whatever, but what really ever stuck with me. Um, and lucky enough, the heroin, like I, I just, you know, fucking. Well, you, you're I, an I, intense I person. Never, I never. You take, need to be up. You can't never, be down for too yeah, long. Yeah, exactly. Like I fucking bad trip so bad in the, in Montreal one hot summer day. And I was like, what the fuck? I'll never fucking do this shit again. You know, I had taken it a couple of times, but it really wasn't my thing. However, like I love needles. I have piercings everywhere, whatever. Yeah. So thank God I never like, you know, Neither I didn't I. take it, you know, because that would have been the, the probably the, the end of me. And but, I knew uh, that about myself. That was the conscious thinking that I was doing was I knew if I was to go to shoot and dope, there's no coming back. And like, and what we relate about what you said earlier is I was huge into snorting. That was my thing and my ego about it. I had a big ego. I've told a story before um, where, so I lived in the Amish country, right? In Pennsylvania. And for the last couple of years of my addiction and for like, the last few years, I, you know, do a drive of an hour and a half, two hours each way to go get pills and drive back. Um, and sometimes I would be withdrawing too bad to even do that. And I would have a little bit of extra money and I would pay a dude to pick him up for me and drive him out to me. And I would throw him like a hundred bucks as a tip for like, you know, driving three hours. So this one night he's on his way and I'm, he's bringing like 20 of them. And I'm like doing that math of like, all right. I can do two now and I'll, I'll have two for when I go to bed Two, you know what I mean? Like, and how I can space them out, you know? And of course he arrives and, um, he, he brought a friend with him for the trip. Cause it's a long drive middle of the night. And he, he comes up to my garage. Where I was smoking and he was like, Hey, uh, I told him how, you know, you can do six at one time. Can you show him? And, you know, he's bringing me 20, 30. So, yeah, I'm like, of course I can show him how I can how I can snort six at one time. Like, and I've, and right away, my entire math I was doing is thrown out the window because I broke up six, which is basically that, the later and the mornings that mm -hmm. I had planned out, all in one line just to prove to somebody that I could do it. Yeah. Like, it's so fucked. And it's funny too, right, that you mentioned that because let's go back to that ego, right? And I, I and I can outdo you, out party you, out snort you, out fuck you, just fucking outdo you. Um, and that's what I I prided myself on. But that you know, and and I think you just spoke to it so well as well is that that dis, you know, we have a disease of perception, and that perception kept me in my fucking denial for so long. So it's really funny because you know how how I was so fucking pretentious and I was better than everybody else. Guess what? Crystal fucking that's like fucking coke for fucking poor people. Only the best for my nose. And I don't do pharmaceuticals because I only do illicit shit. You know, I, I wouldn't do open because you can actually get a prescription for that and get it at the pharmacy. There's no way I'm fucking touching that. That even in my own thinking. That that's how I was. Oh, and, and you're drinking fucking beer? Like, you're, you're nobody to me. Like, it better be fucking whiskey and it better be the best of the fucking best, you know? Like, it, it, isn't it fucking crazy? I mean, it's it's almost typical, though, at the same time. You know what I mean? Because we all have the ways of justifying it. We it's all have, we all, yeah. we're all going to have the different ways of keeping it going and making this okay. 
and I know that this person thinks that I'm doing it wrong, but what the fuck do they know? They, they have this wrong with them anyway, and you start judging them instead to make yourself feel better about them. You know what I mean? You're just shining them, you know. So, yeah, I, it's it's almost typical, but at the same time, we all have our different ways of being typical, right, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, so by the end of it, though, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like, that's what I always say, it was a fucking party. It was a fucking party at first until it was party no more and party Alex of one, you know, over the span of time. And I don't know where along that line, like, you know, um, no pun intended, but like where along that line at the age of, from the age of 10 to the age of 38, um, where along that line it went from recreational use to daily habitual abuse. But it By went yourself. There, it went there quickly. It went there quickly, Bruno, but I even say like looking back on it today, you know, I was regularly using every fucking day, probably at the age of 12, you know, but for me, it was so fucking normal. It was so fucking normal. It was so regularized. It was my way of life. And I was academically successful. So let's get back to that. You know, grade 10, I wanted to be a high school dropout because I wanted to be a fucking party person and rave my life away. But guess what? You don't you don't make a lot of money fucking being a party person, you know, but if I could get paid for that to be my profession, I would have probably chose that as a profession back then. And I wanted to drop out of high school. But again, Alex, the pretentious Alex, the the narcissist, the like the better than everyone else, you know, these people in high school are starting to get fucking old, you know, shit's getting old here, like. People are not open-minded and they're so judgmental and the girls are all in a clique and because I fucking get high with the guys every day, they call me a slut, like, you know, like that kind of shit. And um, I'm like, this is so cliquey and like bullshit, like I'm going to fucking fast, intense, right? I I don't do anything. Even my mom, like my mom, like was saying, you know, she's like, you're fucking, you were an intense addict and alcoholic, but you were intense in all areas of your fucking life. You always have been, right? So I decided that year, I'm going to fucking university next year because people there are all philosophical, love, drinking, like partying, whatever. Everybody's open. There's no cliques, you know, the 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 jocks are not hanging out with the jocks. Like everybody is like a blended, you know, blended place, whatever. Yeah. So, College so is where I, you start finding yourself year. for the first time. So I decided at the, the young age of 16 or whatever, you know, I was supposed to be going into, and at that time in Ontario, we had actually like what was known, it wasn't known as grade 13, but they were um, academic credits that you had to get in order to go to university. Like it wasn't just up to grade 12. I skipped my entire grade 12 year and ensured that all my academic credits to go towards university came into my number of required credits to graduate high school. I went to the university at the age of 17. So I then again left, came back to Ottawa. Remember where I came and went at the young age of 12 to be a dancer. I came um, to Ottawa and went to university. I had my university degree at the age of 20 and I could, I don't know how I fucking got it, but I will tell you what, like, you know, I'd be sitting there writing my essays. Shit, last call at the bars at 2 a.m. It's fucking 1 a.m. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, uh, I'm gonna print it because at that time there was no like email submission or yeah. whatever. I'll go bring it to the, my professor tomorrow morning. I'm done. Okay, guys, I'm fucking on my way. You know, like, let's go. I got an hour left, you know, to get it in me. And like, let's stay up all night. Like I, like that continuous party. And at my university back in the day, um, there was uh, four bars on site. I had my sister's fake ID 
um, you know, so I was, I was, it was, and again, remember going back to my priding and glorifying it, um, you know, people would meet my sister because my sister was in the nightlife in Toronto still back then. And people from my university would like bump into her or whatever and be like, oh my God, Alex fucking Talbot's your sister. Like she's the only girl I know that could sit at Roosters. So Roosters was one of the pubs on campus that could sit at Roosters on Thursday because pitchers were like five fucking dollars or something and could drink like 10 pitchers to herself in two hours. That's my fucking sister. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. That's your legacy. I my university degree, though, and got into the federal government of Canada at a very young age and not entry level, like, you know, right away middle management and started getting, you know, they were pumping money into me. I was going to be the youngest executive, the young, you know, I was a whiz kid. Um, again, though, by night, what was happening, like, you know, when I go into my sex addiction, like it's not, and that comes with the daddy abandonment issues and always trying to seek that, that love in all the right, wrong places. And that, that male presence in my life that I absolutely needed all the time. Um, so, you know, I go again, full on intensity in that it wasn't like, you know, I slept with like, 20 I can't even count them like and I didn't even know their fucking names the compromising situations I would put myself in and and my safety and my security um my womanhood like you know like these things that I think about today like wow Alex like you're fucking you've always had a higher power with you for you to be here to live to tell the fucking tale first of all yeah you know like there's just no way like fucking waking up on the other side of the city like with a guy you don't know, like, who's ne- No, he could have been a fucking mass murderer. Like, I don't fucking know. And I'm letting these people into my house with a fucking daughter, you know, later on in life. I never stopped that 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 way of living until she was 10 years old, you know? Like, I just think about it. Like, nobody was getting vetted at the door. They could have very yeah. well been a child unless... You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just... I No thinking. No thinking for myself. No, and you know, I... Looking back on it today, it was absolutely, you know, um, I was definitely, you know, um, a lack, a complete lack of fucking self-respect for myself. Therefore, I didn't demand it or command it in return, nor did I give it, you know, and self-respect is self-love. Let's get real, right? Yeah, and that's something that you find in sobriety, you know, and that's something you find when you get clean and, you know, when, like you said, rebirth. You know what I mean? Because that's when you start looking back and see what did I do? What are the patterns? And then you go, oh, well, 
you know, and I'm sure it was probably in step work, you know, where you're starting to write things down and relive things where you're like, oh, I, I should probably talk about that. We, we, we're going to need to get into this because I forgot about that, you know, because it's one of those things where it's just it's all one big mess. And yeah. first we need to take away the drugs and the drinks. And then once we take that away, then we can start working and looking at ourselves to see what caused this. And there's you know, so much, you know, there's always those like childhood traumas. So like even at the age of 10, you know, like and and. I'm sorry, no 20-year-old man and 10-year-old girl have anything in fucking common, you know, but smoking weed with older men and, and hanging out with them and, you know, making out with them, okay, not sexual, but that's fucking sick. Like, honestly, that's sick. Um, so, you know, like, going back to those, like, traumatic events in my life, and there's always underlying issues, right? So, for me, um, and when I came into recovery on on that day, you know, I completely let myself go, so... I was 225 pounds by the end of it. There is such thing as coke bloat. You know, that's what I always say. The powder diet fucking only works for so fucking long. Chris Farley, Chris Farley, every time Chris Farley was using is when he was at his biggest. When Chris Farley was like, not ever thin, but when he was like looking good and like on SNL and he was like, you know, not looking fat and like really, really bad and gross. That's when he was clean. Every time he looked really awful and just like huge. It was because he was on coke again. Yeah. So, no, and Artie Lang, same thing. And me, I was like 340 pounds when I got into recovery, and I was on opiates, you know. So, well, I, and, I, and like <laughs> the, former, the former mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford, like with his crack, you know, like he was a crackhead, and he was. He's like, he Chris Farley could have played him if he would have lived. If Chris Farley would have lived longer, he could have played him in like a fucking movie. <laughs> I could totally see Chris Farley playing Rob Ford. Actually, I had a girl on my show where she talked about doing crack in Ottawa. And she's a British girl, but she's talking about making her way eventually to Ottawa. And just for like, because she needed citizenship for a little bit before she came back to the States. You know how it is, I'm sure. So she was staying over there. And she talked about doing crack for the first time with her boss. I said, was your boss Rob Ford? And it was just like, and I ended up finding pictures from, like, that night when they were, like, undercover and they were, like, recording him in the motel room. Oh, my God. That, that to me, like, you know, if you don't know, you have to, like, just give it to Google. Yeah. It's, wor- it's worth the Google. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> um, check it out. Uh, um, do, you, do you already? <laughs> his brother, his brother's now the premier of the province, but, um, and he passed away uh, a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, that was quite, that was quite the scandal. The mayor yeah, of Toronto. Sure was. That was, like, it. a decade ago. Yeah. Now, um, do you follow Tiffany Hamilton? She has a podcast called Never Alone. I don't think um, so. You should, and actually, I'm going to let her know. It's called Never Alone Support, and it's on YouTube, and she's been on my show, and um, she was looking for a guest in Ontario the other day. She was looking for a live guest, and I found her one, but I'm going to let her know about you, too, because she's in, I think, Elmvale. Um, I'm going to take that part out, but yeah, she is in Elmvale, okay. E-L-M, um, but she's always looking for live guests okay. and her story. She has 250,000 followers on TikTok. Okay. Um, I'm not, she, I will not go on TikTok. I don't know but why. She, she has like, like 6,000 more social media. Yeah. Sometimes her Instagram is big too, though. Her Instagram is growing. Okay. She has like 6,000 on Instagram. Um, but she talks about how her stepdad, you know, 
sexually abused her from three to 15. And that was basically her boyfriend from three to 15 because her mom just let it happen and she didn't know any different. So, and her story is like intense, but she puts it out there and it's a, it's, she's worth the follow on. Um, you'll follow, you'll, you could find her easily in my followers list or my following list or whatever on my page and you'll okay. see her, but um, I'll what? let, I'm going to let her know to hit you up. Okay. And I think that's so important to note, right? Like, you know, we each, we each have our own struggles and our own pasts and everything. And, and, but we're still so similar, you know, I think, and we're not alone. We're never alone, you know, and I can't stress that enough. Like, I know it's the fucking scariest thing you're going to do, but it's the most courageous thing that you could do for yourself is reach the fuck out. Right. Um, and there's, and that, there's, yeah, there's a flavor for everyone today. You don't like that fucking meeting you just went to? Fucking go to another one. You don't like that podcast you listen to? You don't like what the fuck's coming out of my mouth tonight? Like, fucking listen to somebody else speak. There is a flavor for everyone. Keep reaching out. Keep connecting. You know, the opposite of addiction is absolutely connection. And find find where you're comfortable. You know, I started in one fellowship. I found another one. Now I'm I'm part of three. But like, you know, um, because I wasn't comfortable in those rooms. So you know, um, it takes what it takes to find where you're going to be comfortable. But be okay with being uncomfortable. Basically, yeah. You know, for the first time, you know, it's going to be weird. You know, it's de- it definitely. I remember how awkward early sobriety was. You know what I mean? Like my first foray in recovery, that first like six months, especially when the pink cloud went away. I don't know about you, but like, cause I was really intense too. Like we both know Jeff and we both know sober slogan. So what's the slogan that we talks about 90 and 90. Right. Um, and I did 250 and 90 because I'm intense too, you know, and you talk about how One meeting too many, a thousand, never enough. And guess what? You talk about living your addiction like your, you know, living your sobriety like your addiction. When I came back from sober living and I was being on my own again, I found a meeting an hour from my house that I went to three times a week because in my head I had to drive as far from my sobriety as I drove from my from my addiction. So I understand your intensity because I live that way. But then eventually the pink cloud does lift off and then shit feels really fucking hard. And I remember that happening to me right around seven, eight months. Like, that's when, like, I remember going, oh, this is fucking real. And, you know, and I'm not going back to that. And the pink cloud is now gone. And I'm feeling hurt. And I'm feeling confusion. You know, I was trying to date for the first time, which I knew I was doing it early, but I wasn't going to get, you know what I mean? I was trying to justify it. Mm-hmm. And ended up leading to a relapse with drinking. Um, but that that didn't happen until I was 13 months. I, literally on my 13 month is when I picked up drinking again. But I'm so fucked in the head. Just like, you know, we talk about with their ego is when I relapsed with drinking, I justified it by working the steps every single day still. I, I, and I guess what? I didn't go overboard with my drinking. Um, you know, I did a 10 step every single day. I checked myself. If I did have a drink, how many did I drive? All that kind of shit. I didn't do anything irresponsible. What got me to stop again was just a fucking hangover. I woke up on leap day and I realized, and I was hungover as shit for the first time in nine months. And that's when I had started nine months previous mm-hmm. hungover as shit. And um, I realized I drank a bottle of Jack because Jack was my thing. JD for JD. Right. 
And um, that was my that was my thing. And I said to my wife, who was she was an alcoholic. Her story is on my page. She was an alcoholic before we met. And then when we met, she was like a moderator. Right. She would drink here and there. And then she liked the fact that I was sober. And then I went out by myself. Nowhere. By, literally not even with her. And then I had to tell her, listen, I drank tonight. I just needed to see what happened. And I'm good, you know, and nothing's wrong. I poured two out even. Yeah. I'm justifying pouring two out. And, you know, <laughs> we all fucking are. Um, but when I woke up that day and I said to her, listen, like, I either need to start drinking now or we can have the coolest fucking sober date ever at Leap Day. And we can both just quit on Leap Day today, 229, and get an anniversary every four years. And how unique is that? And she was like, oh, that's right. That is a cool sober date. And then we just said, fuck it. And we haven't had a drink since, um, you know, uh, <laughs> quarantine happened two weeks later. It's like, fuck, <laughs> um, you know, and, and kudos and kudos to everybody out there. You know, I have a lot of sponsees um, who are, you know, who, who, who came into recovery um, during the last, I can't even believe it's been fucking like almost 23 months. So I'm not going to say the last year anymore. It's fucking, I know, like, it's, I'm like it's, in a fucking virtual fucking time warp. Like, I don't even know what fucking year we're in anymore. Pandemic this, pandemic that. Anyways, but yeah. So, like, and you, you guys know? are even crazier because I have friends in Canada because like I got into um, like the, because like I said, I use cannabis in my recovery. So I got into like the cannabis community first before I got into the recovery side of it. And then I started seeing cannabis recovery creators and started following them too. And so that's kind of how I kind of stumbled upon it, you know, was from the cannabis side of it. Um, but I have a lot of friends up in Canada from the cannabis community. And I remember how intense the lockdowns initially were for you guys it still is so i've been in locked like like i'm in quebec where it is the most intense where it's always been the most intense i i'm the our curfew is being lifted on sunday but we've had a curfew again for the last three four weeks um quebec as in quebec city quebec uh, the province the entire province it's a curfew we're down to you know only um one uh one family dwell per dwelling or you know no no uh private gatherings anymore um our curfew at least this time around is is not 8 p.m it's 10 p.m to 5 a.m we're not allowed out of our fucking houses um i was just on a podcast in quebec okay uh, i'm a live one um called agree to disagree okay uh, his name is luigi costanza i remember that because of seinfeld um, um, but he has, a, he does it on live on Facebook and YouTube. So, and okay. I like, I like, his name is Luigi Costanza and his name, it's agree to disagree. And I'm going to give a shout out just cause I'd like being on his show. We did a live and we talked about sports. We talked about my addiction. We went back and forth. And lately he has been going off about what you are talking about. So like, he's it's, been it's so fucking nuts. It's fucking nuts. Honestly. That's all he's been talking about for the last like two or three weeks. But- but you yeah. know what, you guys, you know what, the way I live my life today, it is all outside of my fucking control. Like, I don't, I don't have, you know, I either fucking embrace it or I fucking resist it. And whoa, and if I fucking resist it, like it's gonna, you know, so last winter, so let's get back into that, you know, and you were saying your, your relapse and like that seven month um, time frame into your recovery when the pink cloud lifted and everything, you know, I've had very hard moments in my recovery and, you know, I'm pretty one that has like you know i always say i have it on fucking lock if that's one thing i have in my life on lock it's my fucking recovery 
but you know, last year, pandemic again, I'm a competitive bodybuilder now. So, you know, I could just come back from an emotional fucking high. I went and competed for my country, my country. I represented my country on an international stage in Vegas. Of course you did with how intense you were. Went to L.A., came back, you know, had that post-comp depression set in. My body dysmorphia kicked in. My character defects and my behavioral patterns started resurfacing and morphing into new forms of addiction. Yo, I was fucking, I went into a deep depressive state. And when we talk about um, paralysis by analysis, like I didn't work for a month and a half, two months. Um, I was literally in bed on fucking Instagram fucking all day, um, you know, having a rough go of it and something something had to give, you know, so that's where I go into, you know, on, you know, when I was that 225 pound woman walking into the rooms of recovery that day, a few short weeks later, you know, I read the John C. Maxwell quote, um, you know, change something you do daily, change your life, your success lies in your daily routine. Um, so I completely overhauled my daily routine. Remember my daily routine was just drugging and drinking and going to work and just getting by saying I was a good mother. Um, but like, yeah, so, you know, and, um, so I completely overhauled my daily routine. I started seeing how nutrition, um, you know, when I adopted clean living, so unlike you live and let live though, and, and the, the, you know, the, the lesser of the two, but for me, I've, I've adopted a zero tolerance policy. I don't so much put refined sugar in my body because it's a drug. Um, you know, so when I adopted clean living, I adopted clean eating, um, clean 100, you know, and that um, ridding myself of toxic people, places, and things was not just, it was ridding myself of toxic thoughts, um, ridding myself of, you know, um, substances. Did right you quit down, smoking too? Right down, yeah, right down to the food I consumed, right? And the food I consumed, like, let's get back to that because as much as I, you know, I would be on two, three day fucking benders, four day benders drinking and drugging all that whole time come day five when I decided it was maybe time to get like a couple of hours of sleep in to start the fucking cycle all over again and put some food in my body within that two hour time frame I was literally eating fucking like I could literally eat a fucking two three whole pizzas to myself fucking you know a lot about Quebec, so that's him, you know, my fucking cheese curds, fucking gravy and French fries. I could eat that fucking all day long. The pop, the chips, you know, I was, no shit, I lived a waste-paced life. Everything I consumed, right down from the people I hung out with, everything I consumed was fucking junk, you know? Yep, and that, make, and that was the other thing that I meant to tell you about Tiff, was um, she also lost, you know, was bigger in addiction and when she got sober is when she got healthier so that was the other thing that you two had in common that i want to make sure you two get linked up because that like you said earlier too you know the opposite of addiction is the connection um and it is so important that we are meeting as many people as possible because like-minded individuals you know and that's how i and i'll get into sober active canada and my national nonprofit um recovery-based community that i launched a couple of years ago but, you know, so when I read that John C. Maxwell quote, you know, and for me, like, I have a mental obsession, a physical compulsion, and a spiritual malady. My disease, and I always put it with a hyphen mark, I have a dis-ease of self. I'm not comfortable in, with, and by myself. Um, so for me, I have to attack 
those three, mind, body, and soul, on the fucking daily. My daily reprieve is not only contingent upon my spiritual maintenance, it's absolutely contingent upon my spiritual, mental, and physical maintenance. Um, and so that's, so I started, you know, I started doing the mental exercise and the spiritual exercise every day. Um, you know, I have my, my recovery devotional in the morning today. That means reaching out to my, my sponsees as well. You know, back when I first started, I didn't have any sponsees, but, you know, going into prayer and meditation and, um, you know, pulling, I have a positivity box, reading a positive affirmation, applying it or seeing how it's going to play out in my day, setting the tone for my next 24, you know, doing the physical exercise, but holy shit, you know, I was so out of shape. I couldn't even do two minutes of fucking cardio, two minutes of hip hop cardio. So as much as I say, you know, I danced my, you know, I, I raved myself to a life of addiction. I danced myself back to health 28 years later because so I, I got into the yoga thing, you know, and I started noticing the mind, body, soul and breath connection and work that had to be done there. Um, and, you know, going and connecting, not only connecting to self and, and higher power, but connecting to community. So, you know, in the, in the rooms, but also, you know, I found this lovely community of um, like um, this yogi here that had this group of ladies that would go out into the mountains like one one day a week or whatever and and do yoga practice and meditation and all that shit and Really and that stars. breath work is still really like it's it's a lot like that's a new thing too. Not it's newish. It's definitely newer. You know, yeah. there a lot of people don't even know what breath work is. You know, and I just heard it earlier today because I was watching that documentary. Like I said, and who was that kid? Um, he was on Baywatch and he ended up becoming a drug addict. Um, and he does breath work now and he works as an you know addiction counselor. Okay. Um, but what what do you do with that? Like, can you explain that more for people that don't know what that is? I do a lot of conscious breathing, you know, and it's funny because I, I do have my um, health and lifestyle coaching certification. So as much as, you know, I thought I was, um, I thought I was invincible and nothing would catch up to me. Um, and, you know, when I went into the beginning there, the, the, my poor, you know, I've paid, I've paid the high cost for my poor decisions. You know, um, I was in the federal government, um, very, very good um, job um, working for, um pretty much the the top ranking uh, bureaucrat of a, of a department for a very long time. And, um, you know, I was using my government travel card to travel to the liquor store by the end um, to do cash advances. I, I was using taxpayer funds to fund my fucking habits. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and never got enough, arrested or never, never had to. Lucky, luckily enough, I was one month into recovery. Um, I got summoned into the big boss's office. I thought I was doing great because I was already a month into recovery. Um, and within 15 minutes, I was being escorted out of the building. Um, I lost my job. And I wasn't just beginning career or end career. Like I was full on mid career, 18 years of pensionable service. So that gave me, you know what, that could have went a completely different way had I not been at least one month in. Don't think the thought didn't cross my mind to take my severance package and fucking run with it. Um, because that did. I was like, fuck, man, I could go fucking get loaded right now, right? Like this fucking, I, I'm going to go get loaded right now. And then I was like, or fucking take this opportunity, Alex. You've kind of been unhappy there anyways. You haven't had time to look for a new job. You haven't had time to do it. Fuck. 
this is a blessing. And it was a blessing in fucking disguise. I had no more job for the first time in fucking however long in my life. I did not have a job. My only job from that point forward was going fucking downtown on myself, mind, body, and soul every fucking day and working yeah. on myself. Now, did you go to rehab or did you just start going to meetings? No, I just started going to meetings. And then now this is where I go into, you know, the uh, mind, body and soul work. Did they know that you had been going to meetings? They, um, they. Did your work know? You know what? I'm very, I'm kind of, you know what? And today, like, you know, that's resentment, whatever. You know, at the time I was like, how could, how could they do this to me out of left field? You know, like mental health is so important and um, stuff from the government of Canada, uh, mental employee, mental health. Nobody often, nobody, I never had a grievance against me as a manager. I never, you know, nobody, this came out of completely left field. Nobody gave me the opportunity and said, Alex, we know you're very sick. You know, maybe you should use the employee assistance program or, you know, you should go get treatment or you should go seek help. Nobody ever came to me and offered me like when I walked in that room that day, I did not know that was happening. But like, I think they did for you what you couldn't do for yourself at that point. That was your higher power doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself, yeah. which was remove you from a job that had you in a toxic lifestyle. Yeah. You and know. you know what? And and it this it, it kind of wasn't because I could do that job with my eyes closed by the end of it, you know, like in that 24-7 cycle and not prioritizing myself or my family and like just fucking, you know, and I'd, I'd show up my my presence. I'd still be there, even though I was fucking clearly fucking out of my tree. Yeah, but, but as know, an I, as an so intense person, how boring is that for you when you get no stimulation from your job? Like you're that intense of a person that, you know, obviously you're even probably like sex and love. So, you know, you're not getting any stimulation from your job, which is your main focus and your main look at me, look at what I do. So that had to have been like just death of going to work every day, knowing that you can't get shit out of it. Yeah. And you know what, too? And that was exactly so blessing in disguise. But that was that was from that moment forward. Like I was only one month into recovery at the time. So, you know, I didn't like all this integrity and character and all that stuff, you know, honestly. And if, and if you're doing that good, yeah, you were already making good money and you got 18 years of a severance package. That's, that's a nice severance package where you can take a couple months to find yourself and figure out the next step. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. So they actually, and this again, higher, you know, what you were saying, higher power doing for me, what I could not do for myself, you know, um, you know, they had given me the opportunity to stay on the books in case I could get my HR file and my security file transferred and transferred out of there. They just wanted me out of their hair kind of thing, you know, but I was still recognized, you know, I was basically getting paid being at home, working on myself and, but nothing came through. I went to so many interviews in that time span. I went to so many so it's really funny. So I got to work on myself and I decided at that point, like just seeing the the significant changes physically, you know, so I always say, you know, nutrition and fitness are viable approaches to my recovery complemented by my 12 step program. Like I got to do that mind, body, soul work day in and day out. Right. And for me, you know, from that moment forward, that John C. Maxwell quotes everything for me. And for me, like, I approach recovery as a transformative process in and of itself. You know, it's about uncovering, discovering and recovering ourselves on a daily basis, ongoing, lifelong, God willing. I'm in this shit for the long haul. 
you know, and um, yeah, because if you have body, if you told me you, you did not, if you did, you told me you had body dysmorphia in, in recovery. So that means you had to have had it in addiction, which would explain the sex addiction, which would explain if you were a bigger girl at the time because you were being unhealthy, you would have been subconscious. So you would have been seeking fulfillment and anybody that's going to show you kind of love because you couldn't love yourself because of the way you looked. Mm hmm. So and it's funny that you that you hit on that. Right. So and in that, you know, into like the recovery as a transformational process, you know, it's not about abstinence. It's about improving our quality of life and improving our health and wellness. Right. And to end the goal, not to be clean and or sober, but loving ourselves enough to live addiction free fucking lives. You know, so I went into like health because it's all psychic. Right. Everything begins and ends in the mind. You know, even in the doctor's opinion, he says it. A psychic change is required to emotionally cope with life on life's terms. It's all fucking up here. My blind faith. It's all up here. My belief in a power greater than myself. It's all up here. I can't fucking see this shit. It's, you know, uh, it's blind faith. It's all up here. Yeah. Um, so getting the grasps, you know, one of the greatest gifts of recovery, not only the connections I've made, but, you know, one of my other greatest gifts of recovery today is having the power of choice back. The power to choose my fucking recovery. The power to choose myself. That's one Every of the first things I learned. Morning when it, I wake it, up. Yeah. My mind, my sanity is back, you know? Yep. Like, yeah, I remember, I don't know, I know, I, I think he listens. Um, This guy, Joe, he was my sober living manager. And, you know, we, and I was an intense person at the meetings. So guess what? They had to take me to meetings. You know, so he, him and I were always driving somewhere because he was taking me to meetings all over. And um, so he would always say, though, that right now we have the power to choose. As soon as we use again, we lose that choice. But right now we hold the power. So just always. So and I've never forgot this. Every time I hear that, I always think of Joe. And I know he's back doing good again. And, you know, he goes to. Well, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, him and I, I always loved hearing that. So and I remember when he relapsed. I, I was early on and I was like, oh, my God, what happens to all this advice? And they're like, no, his advice was still good. It just he stopped listening to his own advice. Advice, Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like they say, right, like our blessings cannot become our curses. And we got to be of service to ourselves before we could be of service to anybody else. And I find myself, you know, um, a lot overextending myself and, and neglecting my own personal recovery. Because I'm into everybody, you know, making sure and being of service to everybody else. And so sometimes I do have to wheel myself back in and be like, Alex, so, you know, that that juncture point. And I was at a fucking juncture point um, last winter, you know, but how I, I feel called out right now. I feel like you're calling me out. I feel like my wife messaged you and told you to call me out, <laughs> like because I've had this conversation about how I, you know, doing 37 episodes in a row is fucking crazy. It's an intense thing, you know what I mean? So, like, it's a 90-hour-a-week thing to do something like that. And, and recovery is coming to a to a harmonious, balanced, and aligned state of self, right? But it's finding that sweet spot and that, you know, it, it's, it's... And I'm justified. I'm like, it's a meeting it's, for me. Every time I talk to somebody, it's a meeting, you know? And I'm easier, justified. It's easier said than done, you know? And, um... And yeah, so so that you know, like, like recognizing that, like self discovery is a daily is a daily thing, right? And that's why ten is so important, and people forget to do ten, even though it's a daily thing. You would yeah. think that you know it being daily that you would just automatically like, okay, I gotta look back to today now, you know, and just do a ten. 
but a lot of people they don't want to look back at the day, just want to end it and go on to the next one. Yeah. You know, and, and I they, was like, yeah, and and I was like, you know, back to fucking basics, Alex. Like, get fucking back to basics. You know, I went and got a mindset transformational coach because I knew my mind needed fucking like I needed. I had still so much inner child work to do and subconscious mind work to do that you know like things where I thought I had forgiven my father and all that like no 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 like we did some inner you know and my my breakdowns were my very breakthroughs but there's still so much deep healing work to be done you know just because I'm four years into recovery my work is never fucking done yeah it's, it's daily it's ongoing like there's never fucking done you know got a new sponsor started doing another round of formal step work you know um, all the things that are tried, true, and tested. You know, I don't make this shit up, folks. And um, and uh, yeah, but you know how I how I approach one thing is how I approach everything. But again, like going into the health and lifestyle coaching, you know, I only I only work with other recovering addicts and alcoholics because of my own journey. And um, and you know, it's behavioral habit change. Again, the psyche, the psyche, yeah. it's, it's all in the mind, right? Um, we're, we're one decision away. We're one decision away from changing our entire lives. Had I fucking known that? Like, but that, you know, unbeknownst to me on April 22nd, 2017, I would, I would change my entire, entire life. Um, so, you know, it's so funny. It's funny because you're, you're the closest one to my date that I've heard so far, but when it comes to like, you know, the actual day, cause for me, it was. The ex- a year later, but it was April 25th is when I got into rehab 2018. Okay. So, but it was April 20th is when I first had the thought of rehab and April 21st, 2018. So you were about to celebrate a year when I made the first phone call I've ever made to a rehab saying, Hey, give me more information, you know, on eight o'clock on a Saturday night. And this guy talked to me for two hours on the phone in LA and so that means you celebrated your one year on a Sunday. Yeah. Look at that, Matt. See, I knew I would get there. <laughs> and it was crazy. My mom came down and everything, and she met, like, everybody. So, you know, it's 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 really cool because... Do you guys um, do cakes up there? Yeah, we do cakes, but I don't eat cake. I, I get, of course I you get, don't, yeah. They, they, I let them choose what they want. Well, we haven't been... We're not... We haven't been back. My home group has not been back in a room in 23 months. We have not seen each other in person. It's uh, it's that uh, I feel so bad because like I literally opened a meeting center during the pandemic. You know what I mean? Like we we host well right now we don't because we all got COVID. Um, but <laughs> you know before that you know we opened in July and we had been hosting daily meetings for AA NA. We do trauma. We do LGBTQ meetings, you know, we cover so many different kinds of things when it comes to mental health, um, because mental health means so much to my wife and I, like, we both lost somebody to suicide that was close to our lives that was also bipolar schizophrenic, like, we both had that in common, you know, for her, it was her aunt, for me, it was my first fiance, and so we both had that in common when we met of like loss through mental health of pain of somebody really, really close to them. And so we kind of trauma bonded over that, you know, and it and that's kind of what spilled over into like, well, we could do trauma meetings. They don't have to be AA or NA. They can yeah. be people. They can be normies that drink or, you know, whatever. And they want to come in, just talk about their trauma because maybe they start talking about their trauma. And then all of a sudden they hear how I don't drink and they get intrigued. 
you know, just get them in the door, just get them talking because that, that talking is so important. Whether for me, I got heavy into therapy. I did the step work. Like I love the steps. That's why I still did them when I drank. I loved them so much, but I also got really deep into therapy where I was like, I was like, I never learned how to be in a relationship, you know, because, because again, our ages, right. Alex, like when you start as young as we do, I realized like, holy shit, I never learned anything. Yeah. And, and you know what? And then going back to that, right. And like, so, so my, my thing is like my ultimate goal, you know, I do have my national nonprofit, which I do also, you know, I, and, I, and then what's the name feature, of that again? Feature recovery MVPs, um, sober active Canada. So I do um, feature um, what we call recovery MVPs. So just some amazing Canadians doing amazing things in the community up here, except like, let's get real. It's recovery without borders now. Like everything is online. That's awesome. Even my my locally based events, you know, and my live events now I do both hybrid. I do virtual as well, where I do like guided meditation sessions and, um, you know, a beginner workout session or group physical activities comp coupled with a 12-step style format meeting or healing circle where we go into self-care as an important phase of recovery or nutrition and recovery, fitness and recovery, you know. Um, but my ultimate goal, so I, I really like your um, your meeting center, is to have, is to open Canada's first recovery-based gym where there would be all types of meetings in one location, one-stop shop, you can work out, like you can get the physical and get the mental OA meeting. You can go to your NA meeting. You can go to your AA meeting. You can go to your CA meeting. You can go to any fucking meeting you want, you know, and, and be yeah. able to offer that. There's a lot of that going on in the States. There's nothing yet here in Canada. LA. And that's where I got it from. You know what I mean? It was, I got sober and you've been to LA. So did you hit any meetings when you were out there? Because the meetings out in LA are it was it was COVID time. I was lucky enough to even cross the border because I was on a national competitive. I feel team. so I was, bad. I yeah, was the, the only NA person is... at the airport in Vancouver that morning that was okay. in line at the um, at international yeah. at, at, at at U.S. Customs. I was the that's, only that's, person. That's that's wow, man. The meetings are so so good in L.A. Um, that's what I got me so hooked was how like intense, but it, like in a good way, where like it was passion, right? Cause there's a difference between intensity and passion. I think passion, yeah. where like I can feel somebody's words or like, I'm afraid of your words. Right. When you're, when you're intense about recovery, I'm like, like I'm like this cause you're coming at me and I'm like this, but when you're passionate about it, you're literally, you're drawing me in because that's why it's attraction, not promotion. I, yeah. I need to be attracted to what you're talking about, you know, because I got tricked into AA from my rehab. Right. I, I didn't go there. I remember even distinctly messaging somebody being like flying out there and be like, I'm, I'm not going to do AA. I'm just going out there to dry it out and done with pills, blah, blah, blah. And then the only time you ever left the rehab was when you were, you know, at a meeting and then you get excited to go to the meeting because it gets you out of the house and around other people again. And then next thing you know, you hear a message for the first time and then you're hooked. Yeah. You know, at least that's what happened for me because you found the rooms differently because you're like, I need to stop this. And for me, it was like, oh, we have to go here now, <laughs> you know. Well, it's funny because you had asked me, right, and we had spoken about that just like very briefly. But the the, the planted seed, the mustard seed of fucking faith, that that's all it fucking takes, right? So I had met a very young, um, a younger uh, woman. Um, we were in active active addiction together, like the the stuff we do, like it was just fucking nuts. But she was one of my 
little brothers, I call them, you know, I call them my little brother. I'd make my daughter call him her uncle, everything. He was over here all the time. We were just, that's all we were doing was getting high, um, you know, and, uh, and he was dating this girl, but I was like, assume yourself as a woman, he's fucking using you, you know? Um, so they broke up, but she went completely like, um, she had a psychotic episode and everything and, and committed herself, but she had found, you know, the, the rooms of, of NA and, uh, she was about, so November, 2016, you know, this was another, um, lead up, um, moment, rock bottom moment. Um, I was fucking tweaked, like, and my door knocked at about nine o'clock in the morning, 8 a.m., nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, I was here getting in another fucking um, codependent relationship with a much, much younger gentleman. And we're just here and I'm fucked. You know, my daughter's at school and my door is knocking. And um, it's a bailiff giving me a notice of foreclosure on my condo. Apparently the bank wants their money when you don't fucking pay your mortgage. So weird. It's so, so it weird. They do it. They do it happens. here too. They do it in the United States too. It's ridiculous. It's like every month you want me to give you money every month. I got to buy drugs every day and you want money every month. Fuck. How about I send you 10 bucks every day? But don't we'll... forget, I, here I am fucking high ranking, fucking making a fucking pretty damn fucking good money for my age. I was making good money for my age fucking when I was yeah. fucking 20 years old. Like, I am now at this point where me and my daughter, I almost, I work for a fucking deputy head of a government department, and me and my daughter are going to be living out of my fucking car. Alex, what the fuck? You have nothing to show. You are fucking ruining yourself. However, you still went on for another six months. So, right then and there, I told the fucking dude, like, get out of my house, except I fucking connected with him two months later, but like, get, get out of my place. Like, this is it. I'm fucking done. Like I need, okay. And I'm going to start calling people. I got to fucking call, fucking find this money to fucking pay my mortgage. Like, oh my God, there's just no way me and my fucking daughter could live on the streets. Like what the fuck? I'm near homelessness here and I'm fucking. And what will people think of me? You know, now, now it's starting to fucking crumble, isn't it, Alex? Now it's not fucking all from the outside and what's happening in the inside of your place. You're now like the fucking, now you're being fucking exposed. People this know is, now. This is some serious shit, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I actually, um, you know, the, the, the intent was there, the will bit um, and willingness and turning it over and all that shit. I didn't even like, that wasn't even a thought in my mind at the time. The intent was there, and I knew, I knew, like, I cannot fucking pick up today. Like, I need to pay this fucking mortgage off. You know, I ended up um, finding the money, obviously. I'm a very, we're resourceful like that, right, as addicts? We're very resourceful people. Um, actually, from one of my ex-boyfriends who was a Coke dealer, um, like, <laughs> me some money, and... You know, what's I, funny is, I, I've seen people say, like, how much money would you have if you've never, you know, spent money on drugs? And I think the question's bullshit because I, I wouldn't have had that money without that motivation. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that I didn't spend money. I didn't ha I had, you know, what I, I didn't all the money that I was spending on the drugs, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, I never would have chased after that money and mm -hmm. been that motivated to rob, cheat and steal and manipulate somebody for that money just to, like, have, like, clout mm -hmm. for money in my account.
Yeah. You know, that money had to be just, I think, for almost fucking guilt. I, I almost think for guilt's sake, I could never hold on to that kind of money for more than a second, right? I had to get yeah. it and give it, get it and then get it, steal it and get it. it. I couldn't just out of straight guilt hold on to money because I just felt like I didn't deserve it because I was such a piece of shit. Well, it's funny because my mindset transformational coach, I had actually hired him because now that I was like mentally, um, you know, mentally, physically and and um, spiritually fit. Now it was time for me to get financially fit again. Obviously, clearly, I almost lost my condo. So it's not like, you know, I'm not paying off those debts. Like I got mad debt still, you know, four years into recovery, still trying to pay off everything and get up to. But now it's time to start working and maybe focusing a little bit on my financial health, you know, and um, and you'll get there. It, there's no time. That's what the beautiful thing is. No exactly. timetable on it. You know what I mean? Exactly. I paid off the last of my addiction debts um, last April. I paid off the rest of my shit, you know, and I still get some phone calls, but they're not going to get a dime from me. That's a whole other grudge that I like thing that it's just a whole other thing. So but, yeah. you know. That's, and that's the point of always being in recovery is there's always shit I'm going to have to work on. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's ongoing. It's a process, you know, and yeah. you trust it, you know, and, and it's it, it, the details, the logistics, the timelines, that's not even in my, you know, in my hands anymore. That's all up to my, my HP. Like yeah. he's got that shit covered. I don't need to fucking rack my brain with it. I don't got the fucking answers. I know that I don't got any fucking answers. I thought I did, you know, exactly. I was my, I was my therapist and I was my pharmacist and I was, you know what I mean? The end all be all of like, you know, you I can help you with your problem. shit differently. I was fucking right. And I was right off. And you don't call me smart Alex for nothing, but like, you know, and, um, but yeah, so smart, this, oh, smart Alec. So this girl that I, that I had, um, befriended, um, that summer in active addiction, um, I knew that she was in the program, right? So that day when I got served that notice of foreclosure, I actually called her and just talked to her for a bit, you know? And um, and I didn't know it at the time. But then, so that that New Year's, actually, funny enough, I went to the uh, NA Masquerade Ball. I was the only person not wearing a mask, but I was still wearing a fucking mask because I got high two hours before that shit. And, you know, you'd think that because that was like 28 days after, you know, I, I was clean. I was clean and sober for 28 days. Um, to, just total abstinence, though, like total abstinence. I just cut it like that. I'm fucking done because I need to pay off my mortgage. You know, I had something to work towards, but I got the money. So it was paid off and it was fine and it was the holidays. So nobody was going to court anyways during that time. And, and I, I, my, I was keeping my condo. And um, so I got high that day because it was obviously New Year. Not that I ever, New Year's Eve, not that I ever needed a, a fucking holiday to get right yeah. drunk, you know. But, um, you know, I had gotten high two hours before. But I said, if there's two hour period between me going to pick her up and going to this masquerade ball, I'm not high. You know, I'll be fine. And I was the only one not wearing a mask. It's a masquerade ball. So, like, how befitting, how fucking, what an analogy, you know, like, this fucking mask and facade and shit that I've put on for so long is, like, and that you couldn't be quick enough. But, you know, I heard I heard everybody's stories. Oh, my God. Like, I wanted to fucking, I just couldn't wait. Countdown was on. 12. Not, you know, like 10, 9, 8, said Happy New Year. Alex was fucking out getting of there. Getting the fuck so out of there quick. and getting so high. And then I had that last, 
like four or five months fucking rampage, last hurrah. I don't know what you want to call it, but got into. I call it a run. I'll call it a run. You know what I mean? I'll call it a run. And I didn't know it was it was it was the real beginning of the end because now I was just I was a mess, and you know that again. So reconnecting with that guy that codependent relationship um just it was it was now just got into the point of ridiculousness like it was just the shit my daughter was living that she had been living anyways but like now I just Alex just doesn't fucking even care about any anything at all at all anymore you know and yeah and that and that's you know that's tough to like go through that like almost month and then you know i'm not going to call it a relapse because you weren't really trying but then 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 to use again and then have to hear all these stories like for the first time really and na is much more raw than aa let's be real like you can almost spot the recovery between the two you know what i mean like i could have I've been around enough rooms where you could have been like, guess what fellowship I, I like, I'm part of the most, or, you know what I mean? Like, I would have guessed that because of the intensity, you know, AA is more like laid back and NA is more like, do this shit or fucking die. You know, like, obviously AA didn't even work for you. And that's why you're here, <laughs> you know, kind of deal, like the kind of intensity. That's the way I felt about it in LA um, was every, those meetings were the real fucking deal. And wherever you go to where there's crazy addiction, you're going to find amazing sobriety too. And people were like, always forget that you're going to Los Angeles, a party city. You're going there for a recovery. I'm like, yeah, but a lot of them get sober. And I, you know, and I met and like, that was, that was one of, you know, a highlight in my recovery. You know, uh, I met some of the fucking recovery fucking warriors and, you know, my community people out there, you know, that I had only known on Instagram, like every day I was meeting somebody different and somebody, some of these people I'm very, very fucking close with today, you know? Um, so it was, it was a high, it was been a highlight of my recovery, but again, coming back right in that whole emotional crash and, um, starting to go into an emotional hangover, but recognizing it, you know, and identifying it and being like, something's got to fucking give and it's time to go back to basics and work on yourself thoroughly again, you know, and rigorously. And, um, and yeah, so, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I went to that masquerade ball and then that fucking, you know, that, that just, I just went out on a, a fucking rampage. I will call it a rampage. And the weekend before April 22nd, 27th, this was probably the real, um, for some reason though, I, I continued on for one more week, but you know, this was, this was, um, probably a huge, um, moment for me, you know, as much as like those five minute intervals, I was it, I was done. Um, the weekend before, like on the Sunday I was here and, uh, my, so it got to the point where my dealers weren't coming to my house anymore. You know, when your dealers have cause for concern and telling you to get off the fucking street and not come into your house or telling you not to meet them and not fucking be out on the streets. Um, when your dealer has cause for concern, there's a fucking problem. You know why I'm laughing, right? <laughs> you know why I'm laughing? Because when I decided to go to rehab, I owed my dealer $1,800. And when I called him to say, hey, man, I don't know what to do, but I owe you this money, but I, I have to go to rehab. He said to me, dude, you either pay me the money. Um, you know, you said go to rehab and I never hear from you again and you don't owe me a dime 
And but if I hear that you relapsed, I want my money. So when your dealer is giving you that kind of out. <laughs> so, yeah, I get I get that kind of like, oh, wow, this must be really bad if he's like just giving yeah. me an out of two grand. Yeah. So I actually went and picked up off of which is, you know, like in a total final act of desperation. Like I was I was so fucking desperate, you know, the things I was doing like to get my shit at this point. I went across town, picked up off of a dude I fucking never met. And I will tell you what, for having done cocaine for that long in my life, what I put up my nose that day definitely was not fucking cocaine. Um, I don't know what I fucking put up my nose. I never, I'll never know what I put up my nose. But all I know is that in a, a drug-induced psychosis, I thought the only way to fucking ever get down from that high was going to be to kill myself. Uh, luckily enough, I had somebody fucking talk me through it for fucking... 15 fucking hours um you know don't sleep don't fucking do this don't do that stay on the phone with me like fucking talk to me like it, it was it was fucking crazy but i and for someone who's done like trust the shit on the street no more either that you're fucking taking <laughs> like everything like you know you think it was fentanyl because you had done everything else you know what I mean? You had literally do done not. all, like, you know, all the kind of hallucinogenics. I never tried fentanyl. Like, you know, like, I, I cannot, cannot tell you what I fucking put up my nose. I don't know what I fucking put up my nose. Yeah. I, I could only read, yeah, because I, I could see it being that because I could see you going into, like, your body withdrawals and all of a sudden you would go into a deep depression where you would want to kill yourself because that's the whole point of it is so that you would if you knew what it was, you know, that's the whole point of what that guy gave you. Like, you're like, okay, hey, buddy, I need more of what you just had so I can get right again. That's kind of, unfortunately, but fortunately for you, you didn't choose to go and get more. A lot of us say to ourselves, oh, I'll just do that again and this will take it away. You know, instead, you decided, oh, whatever I did might have just killed me and I need to never do that again. So that saved your life, that conscious decision. Because you could have easily went down that hole where with that new dealer that you would have now manipulated until he got a cause of concern. Because that's what we do is we push away our dealers until we get new ones and we push them away. And then we get they realize, oh, this person's bad and I don't want to be responsible for them. And that's what happens when you're a functioning addict like us, as opposed to the street addict who has 20 different people that they – they don't get fronts from they just they walk up with cash and you walk by and it's a quick transaction. I feel like your dealers or like mine where you had intimate, you know, conversations, you knew each other. You know what I mean? You didn't just talk about the drugs when you, you were texted. my best friends. Yeah, exactly. You talk. I, we talked hockey. You know what I mean? Like my guy, like we talked about sports. We would go back and forth. We would bullshit about our day. So come, come hang out at my dining room table. But it was my way of manipulating. Have a drink or two and fucking. But okay, in retrospect, more here you go, bang, you know. In retrospect, that was just our way of manipulating the relationship so that it serves us. You know, and when I looked back, I realized like, oh, that was me just manipulating the relationship so that he would feel guilty every time I was withdrawn and he would actually throw me fronts. <laughs> You know, because I always needed a front. You know, I was that guy who's like, hey, man, can you front me? But I'll get you back a lot. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, sure, because they knew I would pay him back because I would keep coming back. 
and they would feel guilty or feel bad because they know how bad I was hurting because I was very vocal about it. You know, I recover out loud, but I told you out loud if you were my dealer how bad I was withdrawing. If you if I got high with you, you knew if I was in it or not. You knew if I was sweating it out or if I was good. So, yeah, I might recover out loud, but I was also sending Snapchats of me snorting giant lines to people that are still my pop up my snap history. Well, sometimes. I like I, I really like how you come back to that. And again, you know, it goes back to my chasing my recovery like I used to chase um, chase my my fucking addiction. Right. But uh, how you're saying, you know, you recovered out. Of course, I'm going to fucking recover out loud. Of course, my daughter, you know, recovery is a family affair. Of course, my daughter's going to be highly involved and implicated in my fucking recovery because I didn't fucking hide my fucking addiction from anyone. I thought I was hiding it. I thought I was doing <laughs> a great job of hiding it. Yeah. You know, she tells me today, like, you guys were all in the fucking bathroom at the same time. There's no way you had allergies together. Yeah. You just know, all like, in there. <laughs> all of you Jamaican just cigarettes, my Jamaican cigarettes. Oh man, yeah. See, but yeah. So you know, and um, I, I wasn't at the end. I, I wasn't hiding it from no one. So yeah, that was a huge. Um, that was like, okay, now I can't even trust the shit I'm fucking doing. Like, there, there something's got to give. And then that, that the one week, one week later, unbeknownst to me, on April twenty second, twenty seventeen, I would, um, you know, I would change the entire course of my fucking life. And here I am today. I am actually going with end you. It. I am actually going to end it there because it's so serendipitous that you answered my first question finally. So, like, that was my initial question was what was going on for you to send you into, like, recovery? But remember I asked you what your clean date was, and you told me. I said, okay, what was going on for you that day before? And then we went off topic for an hour and a half to end back with what got you into recovery the day before. So I think it's the perfect way to end it is because we just drew a giant circle of recovery and your story right back to the end, right to the beginning. And I fucking love how that worked out. Like, I, Sarah, like I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't ever prepare for these things. Neither like, do I. Even my own lives. Like I like, you know, I tell the person, I'm like, you know, please don't post shit about your story. Like I don't, I don't want to know anything about your, don't send me any posts about your story. Like I want it as organic and fucking natural as it could possibly we, yeah, be. Yeah. You know, the, the, and the last one I just interviewed before you, she was sending me all this stuff because her and her husband have a unique story of finding drugs and alcohol together and then getting sober together. So it's a little different than being in active addiction and meeting each other. Right. So, you know, she's sending me these books and I'm like, no, 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 unsend them. I can't look because I'll read it and I don't want to know about you. I have to find out in the moment or else my questions are going to be shit. You're going to realize I'm reading off paper. And yeah, I have to be organic and it has to be real. And I, that's where I had the most that's fun the with role, it. You know? yeah. And that's what I say. And that's even how I, 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 you know, I start my shares even in the rooms. I said, you know, I'm just carrying the message that's intended to me. If you don't fucking like what I say, fucking take it up with my higher power or get your seventh condition back. Like whatever, you know, <laughs> like, was, I, I don't was... know what's going to, I don't know what the fuck's going to come out of my mouth. Like I, I ask him. That's how I started a lot of shares, too. I'd be like, I'm Jane, I'm alcoholic. I know I need to talk about something. I'm not really sure what it is, but I know it's going to start coming out. Just give me a second, and then I'll get into it and not even realize. I'll talk for five minutes for my allotted time, and then I'll realize that's what I need to talk about. And I I just know, like, it's that urge. Like, I need to talk. I need to say something, but I don't know what it is. 
but I know that it'll come out and I'm going to feel better once I do it. Yeah. And it's just that urge of just, I got to just get this out. And, and I was really big on that in meetings early on. I think that's why I like doing the podcast as much as I do, because I'm finding the same satisfaction of just talking whenever I can. And I like that too, you know, and I like, and I just vibe off of like whoever my guest is or whoever I'm, but, um, you know, that that's experiences our teacher, whether it be our own lived experience or somebody else's experience, strength and hope. Right. So I, I fucking love this. This was dope. Cause I yeah. didn't even, I did not really fucking know you. Like, and then you said, Oh, you're going to have to like hockey. And I'm like, Courtney, I fucking hate hockey. <laughs> that, and what did we not talk about? I totally thought you were Canadian too. I'm like, who is this dude fucking, I saw him with Jeff last week or whatever. And Oh my God. Like, He's all into the Oilers. Holy shit, he must be fucking from Edmonton. Nope, nope. I've never even been to Edmonton. And actually, the cities I have been into, have been to in Canada are the ones that you've lived in, except for Ottawa. I haven't been to Ottawa, but I've been to Niagara Falls a bunch of times. Okay. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Old Quebec City. I've been to Montreal. I've been to the old fucking Olympic Stadium in Montreal. Okay. Back, in, I saw the Phillies and the Expos play there back in 95. I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. You know what I mean? So, like, I've – and I've been to the Sky the Sky Dome in Toronto. Um, okay. I have dinner at that restaurant that oversees the state. The, the Rogers field. Center now. The Rogers Center now, yeah. But this was back in 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, again, like, you know, and I and I love, you know, all the architecture up there, especially in Old Quebec City. So, like, yeah, when that guy, Luigi, reads out to me, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do your podcast. I love your city, bro. Like – and he's like, oh, my city, I got, my, you'll see my show. And like, he goes off. But yeah, thank you again so, so much. Like, I had a so, great time, so, you know, getting I to know you. It. I loved it. Always good to connect with new people and stuff. And I'll be following you more religiously now. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah. Whenever you want me on your show, too, I know. Yeah. I feel like I'm honorary, right? I can be honorary. Is that is that a thing? Can I be honorary Canadian for your show? I do, because do. So I just recently did um, Martin from Serenities because I was good friends with him, but I'm really good friends with his wife. So who uh, who we lost a few weeks ago, who was. Uh, yeah. So he was the owner of Serenities. But um, so I did I did put up a memorial piece for him. And so he's like That's my cool. honorary Canadian or whatever right now. But I, I will, you know what, during recovery month, um, I did do two previously, like a couple of years ago, except I pulled them from my page because we're no longer, for, they, they don't represent the, um, my values and, and principles are no longer aligned. So I disassociated myself with that brand and those people. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, and for what, what it's worth, people, for what it's worth, there, there's like, pictures of me and I remember I did a, was it 2000? Yeah, it was. The summer 2016 at my house, my brother and I, we threw a big beer Olympics and, you know, everyone's different like countries and shit like that. And my brother picked first, of course, he was buying the beer. So he was America. So he did that whole thing. But I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm being Canada anyway. It's That's my motherland. That's hockey. Like that's that. <laughs> so I found two other people to join my team that were huge hockey nerds like me. And that was our team Canada. We won, won a bunch of gold medals. So I do have pictures of me sporting the Canada red <laughs> <laughs> with gold medals around my neck. <laughs> you know, maybe not for weightlifting like you did, but still it was for beer pong and shit. I do want to um, like for um, for recovery month, like I'm thinking of doing that again this year is having like two like prominent international people or whatever. International. From yeah, the international. I know. What what is your guys' recovery month? 
Is uh, it September? We do. We do. So it's not nationally recognized. We still have a motion in the House um, trying to pass for the last since before COVID, but obviously it's kind of taken a fucking back burner. Backseat, yeah. But but we recognize it. Like I recognize that the month of September as well. And then we do have like the city of Ottawa has Recovery Day Ottawa in the month of September. Um, a lot of the cities Recovery BC. So now it's not just uh, Vancouver anymore. It's the entire province celebrates That's Recovery cool. Day. Um, it's pretty huge. It's pretty That's huge. Cool. Like, and I, I was quite surprised that, um, so Recovery Day Ottawa this year, we actually got to, uh, and it's a very small, it's, it's a public service town, you know, but, um, so it's not, it's not like one of the big cities, not Montreal, Toronto or Vancouver whatsoever, right? Not even on that scale, but, uh, you know, and, and there was such a good turnout this year. It was the first time it was back. Like I Hopefully it'll be in person again next year. It was like the only first in-person thing in recovery in fucking so long, you know? Yeah. So it was nice to see some fucking people that like were just newcomers like fucking before the pandemic hit. And I'm like, yes, you're still going fucking hard, you know? Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll like, it'll get better, you know? At least like it'll be more appreciation for being in the well, rooms again. Well, what I, what I just want them to stop fucking doing, it's like, leave me in fucking lockdown. Just do that. I'll, I, I'm fucking used to it, you know? Don't give me my fucking gym back for fucking three months and then, and then fucking take pull it. my plug again. Yeah. And still leave the liquor store and the fucking pot, because out here in Quebec, like, our pot dispensaries are, are, gover- are, are government commissioned, right? Like, it's a government... It's So, of course, those are open, you know? Because they yep. still make money, right? Oh, I get it. Trust me, I get it. You know, I see the same thing here, too. So... You know, but either way, thank you. But our but our curfew is being lifted on uh, lifted on Sunday. Well, I hope it stays that way. Yeah. Because too. I'm sure it got lifted before. Yeah, so you know, knock on some wood there, and we won't jinx it. And hopefully, you know, things start getting better. But hey, it's not in our control. So whenever it does, it does, and then just enjoy the relaxation while you can. Exactly. I have, you know, yeah, I'm in lockdown mode. Now you can record more episodes. You have the time. Okay. So, but all right, I'll see you. Bye. Have a good night. Right, see you later.